Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Friday, October 2nd, 2015. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, the only in-house union screen printer in Boston. They specialize in custom uniforms and business apparel. Also, the home of the best skate shopping in New England. And the best deal, too. It's called the Beans Club. Join the Beans Club today for just 45 bucks which gets you 10 skate shoppings for the price of eight. That's right, two free skate shoppings when you join the Beans Club. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. There's plenty of parking out back. Or give them a call, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181 for more information. And make sure you tell them that I sent you here at Beantown Athletics in Dorchester. All right, so October 2nd, which means, and I I sort of teased this last week on the podcast, uh, and if you follow me on Instagram, you know the the photo that I gave you, a little throwback, only it was a a present photo. I walked into the studio here, and the boys here at Beantown, they left me uh, a movie poster, which we had when we released 363, The Road to the Southie 3-on-3, three years ago to the day. October 2nd, 2012, we released this movie to you on YouTube. You can find it, youtube.com slash Danny Picard. I walked into the studio last week, and, and there's a, a move, the movie poster that we had made just sort of sitting here leaning against the wall. It was taken down off the wall for a couple of renovations inside uh, the actual shop. And, uh, you know, we all knew sort of the anniversary was coming, I guess you could say. It's been three years. It's crazy to think that it's been three years since we released this video. Took a lot of time, uh, took a lot of effort, and, you know, uh, I sit here today, and, and you reminisce, and you think back, and I, I, I watched a little of it, um, just some highlights, just to refresh your memory, because I wanted to link it out today. I did on Twitter and on Facebook. It's got over 40,000 views. Again, crazy to think that we released this video uh, three years ago. Three years ago. To the day, I, I, I cannot mention this movie, though, without letting you know that we do the show today with Heavy Hearts. As a friend of ours, Max Adams, passed away yesterday. Uh, he was not in 363, but his personality and love for the game was, in fact, the very thing that we tried to portray in this film. Uh, Max was one of the best goalies, if not the best goalie, in the tournament whenever he played every single year. So um, we do the show today, as I mentioned, with Heavy Hearts, and I can't mention the film and the anniversary without mentioning this. Uh, Max left us way too soon, and it is still somewhat of a shock to everybody in the neighborhood, but he will be missed, that's for sure, and I know he listened to my shows Uh, He's just listening from a better place today. So we dedicate this show today to him. Not an easy transition, but one we have to make. And as I mentioned, uh, it is crazy to think that three years ago, three years ago today, we filmed this movie. Uh, And as I said, you know, what we wanted to portray, me and Pete Needham, Peter Needham, who I guess you could say used to be the producer of the show. We t- I wanted to get Pete in today, but they are busy here at Beantown Athletics. They got a lot going on. 
uh, a lot of screen printing that they do in the back each and every single day. So we were not able to make that work, uh, but I-, I might as well sit here and reminisce about it. And because, it, it, look, it, it took a lot of time and a lot of effort for me and Pete to put together. We got a lot of help from a lot of good people. Uh, a couple special cameos, Keith Yandel, right, New York Rangers defenseman, all-star defenseman Keith Yandel. Also, Jimmy Hayes, now a forward for the Boston Bruins. He was with the Blackhawks at the time, was with the Florida Panthers last year. Uh, and Keith Yandel was with the Phoenix Coyotes at the time, who are now known as the Arizona Coyotes. But, Dave, if you, didn't, if you have not seen the movie yet, if you're a hockey fan, okay, and you have not seen this movie yet, I sort of feel bad for you. You gotta watch it, and two phenomenal cameos from Keith Yandel and Jimmy Hayes. I mean, honestly, when we filmed this, and we were trying to get people in, they were on. Those two were on board right away, and they didn't have to be. So I'm forever grateful that they w- would do this and take time out to be in it. Uh, and d- their parts are the best parts in the whole thing. Jimmy's part and Keith's part. I mean, they, their parts make this movie what it is. Now, it's 36 minutes long, and again, it's on YouTube, youtube.com slash Danny Picard. I can't believe it was three years ago. I, I was thinking about it last night. We were talking about it, and even coming in here today, discussing it. I, I, remember, every, I remember every single part of writing the script, get, you know, getting the people to be in it, filming it, and then afterwards, the process of, you know, we got a narrator, Ryan Wynn, who did a great job. Uh, you know, me and Pete sitting down and him doing a lot of the work, but me over his shoulder, just sort of, you know, as I guess director, you got to be over the shoulder of the guy. Now, I don't think that made Pete too happy a lot of the times. <laughs> I think we wanted to rip each other's heads off most of the time that we were editing this film. But it was, I think it was a longer process and a more difficult process than, than anybody would like to imagine. And we had this sort of reveal party here at Beantown Athletics uh, three years ago. I was, I'm thinking about this. It does not feel like three years ago. I, it feels to me like we released this maybe last, last fall. Honestly, it does not feel like three years ago. But um, it was, and, you know, all the work and effort we put into it, every time that, you know, people mention this movie or they they see me and they say, oh, I love this part, love that part. You know, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it makes me feel good. It makes Pete feel good. And people want a sequel. I can't promise you that we're going to give you one because I just mentioned the time and the effort that was put in place. Now, I will tell you this. we I was talking with people from Boston 2024. And if the Olympics were going to come, we were going to do one. With Boston 2024. That was sort of a sequel from 363. That kept, you know, my character in it. And, you know, when I say character, I mean, there wasn't much acting going on, to be honest. As as crazy as as that might sound. Because I think since it is a mockumentary and we wanted to make it entertaining, right? Certainly there were some parts that maybe stretch the imagination or, or were I don't a little bit untrue I guess like some things we actually don't do like I don't actually go on the ice and practice with Brian Yandel Keith's brother and empty a bag of street hockey balls on the ice and block shots like take face offs on the ice with street hockey balls like I don't actually do that I play hockey and I play street hockey but when I get on the ice we play with a puck 
it's you know we, we we there are some things that certainly uh we stretch the truth a little bit right but but the overall portrayal what we wanted to portray was the passion that our neighborhood south boston has for the sport of hockey and also has for street hockey and has for the street hockey tournament now we wanted to get you know we wanted to get footage of the actual tournament but you got to remember, and I know a lot of people said, well, why do you, you know, they watched it and they said, is there going to be one show in the tournament? Well, look, I'd love to, okay? I, believe me, I would have loved to have done that. And in fact, the story that we, that, that you, that we told at the end, you know, where we have words pop up on the screen at the end telling you what happened in the tournament. Because the, the movie is just the preparation leading up to the tournament, okay? But... What happened in the tournament, what we told you about at the end, where my goal, we lost in the semifinals because my goalie got hurt, is actually true. But the problem is, Pete was my goalie. The kid who, who, you know, the man behind the magic, I call him. It was only a, this was only a two-man production. Now, we got help from Ryan Wynn uh, doing the, na- he narrated it, and, and he did a great job. But, you know, after that, we still edited it. You know, I still wrote what he had to say. Pete's, we, we went, we, we did everything. It was a two, it really was a two-man job. And being a two-man job with regards to filming, you know, I don't want to, I don't even want to say acting because, to be honest, like, there wasn't much acting involved. I mean, this was, um, this was, again, meant to portray the passion that we have for this, for this sport and for this tournament. But it was impossible for us to actually play and try to win the tournament and film it at the same time because Pete was my goalie. So how were we going to do that? We couldn't. It was impossible. And I look, I would have loved to have hired someone to do it, but we didn't make any money off this. Nobody paid us to do this. Nobody did. We wanted to, we, we talked about it for a long time because they had HBO's Road to the Winter Classic. And, you know, Pete had the video editing and production skills and you know I wanted to write a script at some point for something we both played in this tournament we're both passionate about it and there was so many things that we thought could could come together to make an entertaining uh video that sort of you know felt like HBO's Road to the Winter Classic that's what we wanted to do and I think we portrayed it as best as we could, given the fact that we were not able to show you actual in-game footage of the tournament, okay? And I know some people have been begging for it, but I can't make any promises because there's just too much going on. We have thought about maybe, you know, going outside of the street hockey world, maybe giving you a little wiffle ball one. It's some other things, too. But I'm not going to say that we're never going to do a sequel. I will never say that. Never say never. But as of today, Friday, October 2nd, 2015, it seems somewhat unrealistic that I could drop everything I'm doing and focus on that and that Pete could drop everything he's doing and focus on that. Now, I say that thinking that if we were to do a sequel, we would not be making any money off it. So that's why I say it would be tough for us to drop what we're doing and do something that's not going to you know, bring us any money. When I mentioned we were talking with, I was talking with Boston 2024 and the Olympics, and we were going to do something with them. Well, we were going to talk about some money rolling in. That's a different story. Okay, maybe I can drop a couple things that I'm doing. Uh, but uh, right now, reality is 
we're not going to do anything for the goose egg. If something comes along, maybe we give you something. Uh, look, there is always part of me when I think about, especially a day like today, the three-year anniversary of the release of 363, the road to the Southie three-on-three. There is, and seeing the success that it had and the number of views that it received, uh, even though, you know, some of the, a lot of the comments just, man, people are beautiful. The comment section is beautiful. I know they tell you, don't read the comments. And to be honest, look, I've been in this business. I've been on social media. I mean, I'm on the radio. I do TV. Stupid comments fly in like you read about. I mean, all the time. It's, you don't, you can't get worked up about them. It's anonymous people just making, it's the internet. I mean, you're really going to get worked up about that? Then you're never going to make it one in this business or really any business that you're in. I mean, it's, I'm not going to take comments or message board, or anything like that, seriously. In fact, if you read the comments on 363 to the road to the Celtic 3-on-3, there are some hysterical ones, only because I there's a lot of pe- It just goes to show you that there are a lot of just stupid people in this world. Uh, it, really. There are a lot of people that just don't get it. Now, it's it's unfair to some of the good comments that, that we had that made a lot of sense. But... I, I, you read some of them, and you're like, wow. I mean, these pe- these people can't be real humans. Are they? Making those comments after watching this? You're not entertained by that? Come on. It's entertaining. That's what it's meant to be. Don't take life too seriously now. So anytime, uh, you know, October 2nd rolls around, we're thinking of uh, 363, and I'm always in my head, when I think of 363, think to myself, wow. Could at any point in time we actually put together uh, a sequel? And um, look, I'd love to. Pete would love to. But it would be unrealistic for us both to just drop what we're doing and put something like that together. Because it wasn't like we just you know, went down the street hockey court one day, filmed a couple things, went back on the computer and edited a couple clips. I mean, this was a... This was more of a process than I think either of us thought we were getting into. And by the time we got into it, we couldn't stop. And then we gave people a hard deadline. Like, okay, we're going to have this reveal party at Beantown Athletics uh, the week first weekend here in, in October 2012. And the day came that we, were gonna, that we needed to have the party later that night. And we were still trying to put the finishing touches on it. I mean, it was some, it was some sleepless nights. A- and that was only for a 36-minute YouTube video. That we made no money off of. So I can't even imagine what it's like putting together an actual full-length film. But all I ask is this. Uh, make, sure you give it, make sure you give it a shot. Make sure you give it a watch. It's 36 minutes long. I know some people that watch little clips of it. Like, I've been telling Lou Merloni to watch the whole thing for, like, two years now. And he keeps... I think he's only watched, like, a couple clips that he's seen. I mean, come on. You gotta watch the whole fucking thing. Please. Watch the whole thing. You'll be entertained. I promise you. If you're not, if you're not entertained, then I, I just feel like you don't like entertainment. Or you're taking life a little bit too seriously. Don't do that. But uh, this is an opportunity for me to also thank everybody who helped make that video. Because even though I said it was a two-man job, me and Pete putting it together. As I mentioned, Ryan Wynn did a great job as a narrator. He took time out of his day. He's a Boston cop now, Ryan Wynn. He's a Boston cop. He left us uh, to do, for the narrator to go be a Boston police officer. Um, and uh, 
you know, all, anybody who acted in it, I'd say acting, and that's a strong word, because it, it, you know, it wasn't really acting. I mean, we would, we're down there anyways. We're down the street hockey court playing anyways, right? We're, we're doing a lot of this stuff anyways. Again, some of the stuff we stretch the truth. Like, I don't go on the ice and block shots, okay? I don't. But, you know, for the most part, a lot of it was not actually acting. But people did have to take some time out of their day to work with our schedule to get down there, uh, to throw the equipment on, to throw the rollerblades on, and to do some other things. And especially Jimmy and Kevin for taking time out of their day and their summer to come down and something that they didn't have to do, but I'm glad they did. And I just hope the Bruins watch it. I know some former Bruins have watched it, but now that Jimmy Hayes is a Boston Bruin, you know, I hope that the current Boston Bruins watch this and, and see Jimmy's acting skills. That, that's all I want him to do. But uh, thanks to everybody who was involved in it. Three years ago to the day, we released 363, the road to the Celtic 3-on-3 three three, to the world. And uh, you can watch it at YouTube.com slash Danny Picard. So we'll, I'll move on from that uh, because it is a Friday show. That means Picks Picks is coming up to close it out. I give you five games in the NFL with the spread every Friday. I do not include the Thursday night game. Sometimes I'll include the Monday night game. I'll let you know if I have that Monday night game included when I give my picks at the end of this show. Last night, though, on, yet, well, on yesterday's podcast, I told you about the Thursday night game. Pittsburgh Steelers hosting the Baltimore Ravens, and the Steelers being a three-point dog at home, mainly because Michael Vick was the quarterback because Ben Roethlisberger is hurt out four to six weeks with that MCL injury. The Ravens went into this game last night winless, okay? They had no wins, 0-3. Their pass defense late in games couldn't stop a nosebleed the last couple weeks. Uh, The Steelers, I told you going in, had a chance to win this game. And in fact, if you look at the Steelers' schedule for the next six, this was going, and I say this going into last night's game, if you look at the Steelers' schedule, in the the next six, or I should say the next five now that this one's over, the Steelers have, I think, one of the toughest schedules the next handful of weeks. At San Diego next week. At home against the Cardinals week after that. At Kansas City week after that. At home against the Bengals the week after that. And then at home against the Raiders, I don't think is a layup. You know how I feel about Oakland. I think Oakland could be one of these teams with Derek Carr under center who's looking like uh, he is you – know, this is a kid with a big arm who's ma- who makes big plays. And, I look, he's got a lot of weapons. And Oakland has a solid D, too, I think, I feel like, just from watching them first couple weeks. I slept on Oakland. I think a lot of people slept on Oakland. And maybe it's because we slept on Derek Carr. I don't know. But he seems to be coming into his own and establishing himself – as a very good quarterback. I'm not going to say an elite quarterback because there's a lot of time and a lot of things he needs to show me to even uh, let me think of putting him in that category. But Derek Carr is doing a lot of good things, and he is impressing me right now to the point where I look at Oakland and say they could be a playoff team as a wild card team. I'm not ruling them out. In fact, I'm almost upset with myself that I didn't put them in to my playoff picture during my preseason predictions. But anyways, you know, that is... That's something that I'm looking at. I'm looking at Pittsburgh's schedule. And going into this one last night, I'm thinking, seeing Pittsburgh's schedule, knowing that Big Ben is going to be out, if there was a game 
in the in the six games, let's say Ben was going to be out six games. If there's a game in the six games while Ben's out that Pittsburgh is going to win, it would be last night at home against the Ravens team. That sure they were hungry for a win, but and and look, they won last night. The Ravens won. They get their first one of the season. They defeat the Steelers twenty-three to twenty in overtime. But if you watch this game, okay, if you watch this game. You know that the Ravens didn't actually win the game. The Steelers did everything that they could to lose the game. All right? The Steelers, in fact, gave this game to Baltimore. They said, hey, guys, you want to win? Okay, here it is. You want to come into our building and win? Here's the win. We'll give it to you. That's what we'll do. The Steelers, if look, if you had told me last night, going into this game, if you had told me that the Steelers at home, without Big Ben, with Michael Vick under center, against an 0-3 Ravens team, that the Steelers, again, at home, would have no turnovers, score 20 points, and have a 20-17 to lead, and the ball, at the two-minute warning, okay? At the two-minute warning, 20-17 to lead, and the ball, at the two-minute warning, I would have... I would have said, I don't care who the quarterback is, Pittsburgh wins that game every time. I don't care who the quarterback is, Pittsburgh wins the game. But Josh Scobie, the Pittsburgh Steelers kicker, missed two field goals in the fourth quarter. A 49-yarder with 229 left in the game. And a 41-yarder with a minute six left in the game. Both opportunities could have put them up by a touchdown, forcing the Ravens to have to come downfield and score. I mean, this game last night, I told you to stay away from it. I told you to stay away. I said I could see Pittsburgh winning, and if there was one game in their uh, next six, leading into the game, I said if there's one game in their next six that they're going to win, it's going to be this one at home on Thursday night against a struggling Ravens team. If you can minimize the mistakes, if you cannot turn the ball over, all right, you can win a 20-17 to game. That's what I said. But, and you know, the Steelers are three-point underdogs. But I told you, I, given the divisional rival, given the fact that uh, Baltimore does have big play ability, right, offensively, um, Pitts, you know, Michael Vick, I don't know what we're going to get from him, right? I just don't. I'm, I told you to stay away. This, this, I didn't like this game one bit to, to actually, you know, take action on it. But, I mean, when you look at this fourth quarter, it's amazing to think that Pittsburgh did not win this game. It goes to overtime because you missed two field goals. Not only did you miss two field goals, though. You missed a, okay, you missed a 49-yard field goal with 229 left in the game. It would have put you up 23-17. to 17. You missed that, okay? With 229 left, you missed it. You're up 20-17. to 17. You get Baltimore to go... Four and out. You know, they run three plays. They got it on fourth down. Uh, they can't convert. Four and out. You get the ball back. Now, something happened where they added like five seconds on the clock. So, essentially, they gave Baltimore two timeouts in this one. They gave Baltimore two timeouts because they gave them the two-minute warning because the five seconds they added, it was like a minute 57. And then they added five seconds. So, you end up Baltimore gets the two-minute warning as basically another timeout to go with the one timeout they already had. So what happens is, if you're Pittsburgh, you run a couple plays, right? You got good field position, and 
you know, Baltimore calls a couple timeouts. And what happens is you get an opportunity to kick another field goal. You get an opportunity to kick another field goal. What do you do? 41-yarder, you miss that. 41-yarder, you miss that. And then, I mean, do I have to keep going on? In overtime, Pittsburgh gets it twice on fourth down. They go for it instead of punting and pinning Baltimore back. And they they go for it twice. They can't get it. And on both fourth downs, just as bad of play calling as you could ever see. Ever. Forget about the situation they were in. Ever. On fourth down. With Michael Vick as quarterback. The first fourth down in overtime. Pittsburgh. You know what they did? They had Michael Vick decide to run. Now, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Michael Vick shouldn't have, shouldn't have ran in that spot. I'm saying the way that they ran it was stupid. You better have Michael Vick back looking like he's going to pass for a couple seconds. Let him open the thing up. Okay, let the play develop. Then trust his instincts because that's what you're doing in that play. If you're telling me that you're going to run a fourth and short play in overtime, game on the line, in overtime, at home, and you're going to have your quarterback who is mobile still and can run, as we saw in this game last night, you're going to tell me that's what you're going to do. Then I'm not, I'm not against it, but you better do it the right way. But when you do that, what you're telling me is that you're going to trust Michael Vick's instincts. Okay, well, you're going to trust Michael Vick's instincts. You better call a play that looks like it's a designed pass. And then you trust the quarterback to make the decision to find the spot, let the play develop, find the hole, and then take off. Roll out of the pocket. Run around a little bit. If you're going to commit to him running, obviously you committed to him running. It looked like that was the play. Snap the ball. Michael Vick takes off to the left side. Just, just as I mean, that works in college, right? In the ACC, that's going to work, right? BC is going to, Boston College is going to run that play on first down, and that, that play is going to work. That's it. I mean, that is as bad a play call as I've seen. And then you get it on fourth down after that. And what do you do? Now, I actually thought as this play developed that you were going to be in a situation where Vic was getting it and dumping it off to the right side to his running back who was coming out of the backfield. He didn't do that. He, he didn't do that. You know what he did? Instead, he tried to throw a ball downfield. And the last thing the Steelers should want, especially on fourth down, okay, is Michael Vick throwing the ball in overtime downfield. That is, that is the last thing. You want to dump it off to your running back? Let him pick up the couple yards and get the first down? Be my guest. In fact, the way the play developed, that's what they probably should have done. Probably should have just lofted it up to the right side to his running back coming out of the backfield. They didn't do it. Steelers turn the ball over again. What do you know? At some point, you keep giving the Ravens opportunities. They're going to do something with it. They're going to do something with it. And all they needed was a field goal to win. Because they got a field goal to tie and end the regulation because your field goal kicker missed two. Okay? And then you blew it in overtime with your play calling. I mean, they should have just punted it twice. That's what I was saying. At the, and that's, that isn't second guessing. I said it at the time. But if you are going to commit to going for it on fourth down, you better come up with something better than that. You better come up with something better than that. But you told me going into this game, the Steelers wouldn't turn the ball over. Vic would go 19 of 26, 124 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, 22 carries, 129 yards, and a touchdown. They Steelers fumbled twice, but they didn't lose either of them. So that doesn't factor in. 
You told me that? You get the, and you got the ball up 20-17 to 17 at home at the two-minute warning. I tell you, I don't care who the quarterback is. I don't care who the coach is. That team wins that game. Steelers lose that game. They gave it to the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens did not win this game last night. The Ravens were given not just one gift. They were being fed gifts all night long. All night long. Ravens didn't want to win this. The Ravens got the gifts. They kept giving it back. They kept re-gifting. They didn't want to win. Ravens wanted to go 0-4. Maybe they wanted to get their coach fired. I don't know. They didn't want to win this game. But neither did the Steelers. And when you're in overtime, at some point, someone's got to win. I guess it could have ended up in a tie. But, you know, when you play this game for a long enough period of time and you make as many mistakes as one team makes if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, the other team, I don't care how good or bad they might be, is going to probably end up winning. The Steelers gave this game to the Ravens, even though the Ravens kept saying to the Steelers, we don't want it. (laughs) And that's why I told you to stay away from this one last night. So, Ravens get their first win of the season. Uh, The Steelers, I got to think now are done. I got to think now are done because I mentioned their schedule at San Diego, at home against Arizona, at Kansas City, at home against Cincy, even at home against the Raiders team. It's not going to be a layup for them even if Ben's playing. And will Ben even be back by then? And at that point, you know, if you're Big Ben, as I mentioned yesterday, if you're Roethlisberger and your team now rattles off three straight losses and you're sitting there under 500, is Ben Roethlisberger going to rush back from an MCL if his team is down and out? And then not only that, but you probably look atop the standings above you and you'll see a Cincinnati team that's going to be a whole lot better than you leading the way. In the AFC North. So, uh, I, maybe Ben doesn't even return. Maybe he doesn't rush it back when he sees that. So, Ben might not be available there for that Raiders game. Who knows? Who knows how that is going to play out? But I can tell you this. The Steelers had an opportunity last night to, with Roethlisberger down, with Roethlisberger down, to get to 3-1 and one going into that game in San Diego. And maybe they get some momentum and they feel good about themselves. And Vic starts feeling good about himself. Right? I mean, they had an opportunity to do it, and they just absolutely blew it. And I know you can look at the play calling in overtime and you can say, you know, they can to a man look at themselves and say, if our kicker could hit one of those two field goals in the final two and a half minutes, we wouldn't have been in overtime. Well, you do make a good point there, and (laughs) you might be right. But it didn't happen. Your kicker missed two. And instead of punting in overtime, you went for them fourth down. And if you go for them fourth down, you better come up with something a whole lot better than that. Or you're going to lose. And they did. Steelers lost to the Ravens. Ravens win 23-20 Thursday night football. Week four officially underway. Uh, I'll give my picks to close out this show. Real quick, though, uh, before I move on from this game, last night after the game, Steve Smith. Now, I have Steve Smith in fantasy. So him with a little back injury is a little scared to my fantasy team because he ended up doing nothing for me last night. But he gets injured on a late hit, and he, here's what he said after the game. Yeah, you know, Steve Smith, he's going he's gonna to run his mouth. I mean, that's what, that's what it's going to be. Now, Steve Smith, to me, you know, there's a lot of guys in sports that run their mouth, right? And there's a lot of guys that, don't back, that won't back it up. Steve Smith's the kind of guy that I feel like will back it up. Like, I feel like Steve Smith is a, he's a bad dude. That's just how I feel about him. 
And maybe he's just so good at the act that he's made me believe it. That that doesn't mean I actually dislike him. I, me and Steve Smith, we're fantasy football buddies, man. I, I've been drafting Steve Smith for years. I love the guy. I love his intensity. I love his fiery attitude. I love the fact that he's one of the smaller guys on the field, but also one of the toughest. I feel like he would back up a lot of the things that he says. Now, if he backs up what he said last night after this game, he's going to find himself at some point in time in prison. But here's what, here's what he said. Uh, before you, you judge me in that comment, I'm going to tell you what he said. After he got a late hit from who he believes was his former teammate, Mike Mitchell, he says after the game, Smith says, quote, I got speared in my back by an ex-teammate. I kind of know his character and who he is. After he hit me, he said, how do you like that? Smith added, the best thing I could do without threatening him and saying I will assault him when I see him is, I will say, I look forward to playing him again, and he's on my lifetime hit list. End quote. Oh, by the way, the Ravens and the Steelers play again on December 27th in Baltimore. In case you're marking your calendars, if you want to see uh, something nasty go on, whether before the game, during the game, or possibly after that game. I, I don't know when that will go down. But Steve Smith, look, he likes to talk. I feel like he backs it up a lot. He just, you know, the hit list thing is a little strong. Obviously, obviously. I don't think he's serious with actual hit list, meaning he's going to go out and murder this guy. That's not going to happen. I mean, it, 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 you know, he might, there might be some type of block that maybe Steve Smith lays on him. That it's, I don't know. I don't know what Steve Smith means, to be honest. I, I don't know that I should read too much into it. Here's, here's the, the reason I bring it up, though. It's not the reason I bring it up, to break that down. Um, the reason that I bring it up is because it looks like Steve Smith, after saying this, looks like he might have the wrong guy. <laughs> in fact, in fact, it he does have the wrong guy. Uh, this is, and after he said this, we found this out. A replay showed that, and not Mike Mitchell, his former teammate, the guy that he said is now on his lifetime hit list, and that Steve Smith says he knows his personality. The guy that actually hit Steve Smith, was Steelers linebacker Lawrence Timmons. That's the guy that hit him. So Steve Smith putting guys on his hit list that didn't actually do anything to him. Lawrence Timmons is the guy that I think if Steve Smith clarifies this comment, which he probably will this week, he'll probably clarify and say, well, Mike Mitchell isn't on my hit list. Lawrence Timmons, in fact, is. But uh, when I guess that's uh, when hit lists go wrong, right? Mike Mitchell might want to. I want to call Steve Smith and say, hey, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Or at least just maybe tweet him the link to the story that says it was Lawrence Timmons, not himself, Mike Mitchell. So uh, moving on from Thursday Night Football, though, I had to mention that. I thought that was humorous after the game uh, to see Steve Smith go off with his mouth. We'd like to see him go off on the field once against this season, at least the people who have him in fantasy like myself. So, uh, here's the Steve Smith. Get well soon with that back. It is his farewell tour. That's part of the reason for me drafting him once again, as you know, he's motivated. 
And as much as I'm not, you know, I'm not the biggest Flacco guy in the world because I feel like, and you saw it last night once again in big spots, he just throws the ball downfield in hopes that his receivers come down with it. You know, unfortunate for Joe Flacco, Anquan Bolden plays for the 49ers, right? You know, that year Baltimore won the Super Bowl. It wasn't Flacco. Flacco got the MVP. Bolden should have got the MVP. Anquan Bolden came down with every duck that Flacco just threw up for him in the playoffs, in the Super Bowl. Anquan Bolden should have been MVP. If there was every year that should have been co-MVP in a Super Bowl, quarterback, receiver, the quarterback's going to get it probably most of the time. But if there's ever a time that should have been co-MVP for a Super Bowl, it should have been that year when the Ravens won it. Flacco and Anquan Bolden. But... Bolden's no longer on the Ravens, and with Steve Smith out now, at least, you know, in that game banged up last night, Flacco, he tried to throw it up to a couple people. He threw a nice pass in the end zone for that touchdown to Aiken, but I'm going to credit Aiken for sort of putting his head down and taking off and going to get that thing. I, that, that's, I look at Aiken, but it was, I guess you look at where the ball was placed, back left corner of the end zone. He, there needed to be a little touch on that ball to be a touchdown as well. So I'll give Flacco some credit. But for the most part, Flacco does just throw it up and hope God's come down and, and pull it down. So Flacco didn't win this game for them last night. The Steelers, they handed it to the Ravens. And we move on now uh, to the rest of Week 4. I'll give my picks in just a moment, but i got to mention uh, before I do that, just an update. I always keep you updated on the Major League Baseball playoff race, so I cannot get away from that right now. Uh, the Texas Rangers last night, they clinch a playoff spot with a win over the Angels. They're in this series with the Angels, this four-game set to close out the season. And with the win, again, the Rangers clinch the playoffs. It looks like now with the Rangers three games ahead of the Astros in the AL West, four games ahead of the Angels, it looks like the Rangers are going to clinch the division. Now, it's not guaranteed yet. Nothing's guaranteed. But it looks like the Rangers will clinch the division. And meaning the wild card spot, the final wild card spot will be open because the Yankees last night they clinched the wild card spot as well with their 87 wins. You look at the Astros right now. If the playoffs began, the Astros would be in that final wild card spot playing the Yankees. The Angels are a game behind the Astros and the Twins. The Twins won last night. You know they're not going anywhere. They're a game behind the Astros, too. Don't sleep on the Twins. And find the Yankees, bring the Twins to town. That's that's how I feel. Uh, and if you have to pick between Houston or L.A. from the Yankees, I would say oh, one game playoff. You know, is Dallas Keuchel the guy you have to go up against? I'm not sure I'd, I'm not sure I'd want to go up against Keuchel. But again, the Angels, don't think they, they just have this postseason persona, don't they? Like, even, even though the Red Sox have beat them, Several times in the postseason over the years uh, during some very good playoff runs. I just, the Angels to me, I just, I hear them, I hear playoffs, and there's just something about them. Like, I, I just don't want to play them in the playoffs. You know? You want to play Trout in the playoffs here? Eh. I'm not so sure I want to do that. But at the same time, if you're talking about what pitches you don't want to face, Dallas Keuchel, I mean, he's, you know, there's a reason why he started for the American League in the All-Star game. Uh, Keuchel is somebody that I don't know that I'd want to face in that one-game playoff if um, the New York Yankees. But I don't even know if that would be the guy. We'll, we'll see what happens with that and how the, the rotations and the pitching matchups line up. Because the Astros are looking at it here, and they've they got to get in. 
I mean, you gotta you got to get into the wild card game. There could be a one-game playoff to get into the one-game playoff. You know? I, I wonder if we're going to get, you know, with the way Minnesota's still st- sticking around, I wonder if we're going to get a one-game playoff to get into a one-game playoff to get into the one-game playoff. That would be something else. Too deep for you? I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just... Major League Baseball postseason uh, gets, you know, I love it, so it gets me fight up. And, uh, you know, you look at the Texas Rangers, they're going to win the division, I think. They clinched last night a playoff spot. Uh, you look at where they are or wh- and where they were August 1st. I read this stat this morning. The Texas Rangers, with three games under 500 and trailed the Astros by eight games in the division on August 1st. And here they are now, clinching a playoff spot last night, and it looks like they're going to clinch the division with the Astros battling just to get in, just to get in to the one-game playoff. So uh, that gives you an idea of what the Rangers done, also what the Astros have done or failed to do here, failed to close it out down the stretch. So we'll keep an eye on that. There are some teams playing for, you know, like Toronto and Kansas City. They both have 92 wins. This weekend, they're playing for the best record in the American League, which certainly means something. You know, it absolutely means something if those two teams are going to play against each other. You know, who's going to get the home field advantage in the championship series? And who's going to play the wild card team in the first round? Right? It, mean, it means a lot. And in the National League, you get a similar race. The Mets with 89 wins. Uh, the Dodgers with 89 wins. They're going to play each other in the first round. That's set. Because the Cardinals have 100 wins. Cardinals are going to play the winner of the Pirates and the Cubs in that wild card game. But the Mets are going to play the Dodgers in the NLDS. Both teams have 89 wins. You know, where's, who's going to have the home field advantage in that series? So that's up for grabs. There is, so there is still some stuff up for grabs in a playoff spot, a final playoff spot in the American League. Still up for grabs, that final wild card spot. So we'll keep an eye on it this weekend, and whatever happens, I'll break it down on Monday. Also on Monday, I will react to... Week four in the NFL and everything that happened Sunday and preview the Monday night football game. The Monday night game this week is Seattle hosting Detroit. Detroit looking for their first win of the season. Uh, Seattle looks like they are back on track after a win last week. I know it wasn't the toughest game in the world for them against Chicago, right? And they are now one and two. And if you look at the standings, Seattle is in last place, but Seattle is home now for their second straight game. If there's any team in the league that, that benefits and loves their home cooking, it, it's the Seahawks. It, that's a real thing. That's a real home field advantage for them. I do not see the Lions winning that game on Monday night. But it's a 10-point spread. It's a little high for me, and I, I'm going to stay away from that. I like Seattle winning the game at home, no question, getting back to 500-2-2, two two, but I'm staying away from that. Who are my picks for Week 4? This is Picks picks hit the music week number four my record through three weeks for picks picks is eight and seven i went four and one in week one and i've gone consecutive weeks now with the two and three record okay i get it you've knocked me you've said pick you're not giving me anything good here well i got a couple bad beats the last couple weeks colts defense and ravens defense has really screwed me the last couple weeks so ravens played last night i told you to stay away from that game and with the Colts, right now, I look at them, and I'm staying away. 
mainly because there's no spread, right? <laughs> there's no spread right now because they don't know what's going on with Andrew Luck. Is he going to play? Is he not going to play? He's dealing with the shoulder issue. The Colts are at home against Jacksonville. So I'm, there's no spread, so I can't pick it anyways. But even if there was, I would stay away. I'm not going to go with the Colts uh, for the third straight week and continue to stick with them. I'm just not going to do it. So I got picks. Here we go. Five picks every Friday with the spread. Picks, picks. Game number one. I'm going with the Oakland Raiders. The Raiders as a three-point favorite over the Bears in Chicago. Oakland in this game. I told you I love them. I love Oakland in this game. I told you during my week four preview on Wednesday. The Oakland Raiders to me are a team, as I mentioned earlier, that I wish I had picked uh, to put potentially be involved in that wild card race in the AFC. I didn't put them there. I'm regretting it. But the Oakland Raiders, they lost week one to the Bengals uh, at home. And then they stay home. They beat the Ravens in week two. You saw the way Derek Carr drove Oakland down the field, and he kept answering Joe Flacco, and Derek Carr made the big plays. They could have kicked the field goal, sent that game to overtime late, if you remember. Instead, he ended up throwing a touchdown pass over the middle, it was a big play and a huge spot for Derek Carr. And the way I look at his career right now, he is impressing me greatly. So Derek Carr, this is a guy that I look at, and I think he has taken that huge step from year one to year two in the NFL, and he's a guy that I have a whole lot of confidence in right now. So they beat Cleveland last week in Cleveland. They go to Chicago. I don't care if Jay Cutler plays or he doesn't play. We still don't know. He's got the hamstring issue. He didn't play last week. Go ahead. You know what? Throw Jay Cutler out. Play Jay Cutler in this game. It doesn't matter to me. Oakland's a three-point favorite on the road. They're going to win this game, and they're going to win it by more than three points. I'm taking the Raiders over the Bears in Chicago. Oakland minus three. Game number two. I'm going with the Kansas City Chiefs as a four-and-a-half-point dog over the Bengals in Cincinnati. I know, Cincinnati, undefeated. A lot of people love him right now. Credit where credit's due. Andy Dalton is making the big plays. And him to A.J. Green looks like a devastating duo once again. And the Bengals are undefeated. I get it. And a lot of people, you know, over the years, the last couple years, have looked at Cincinnati, and in the preseason, they've taken them and put them high in their power rankings. I've never been one of those guys to do that, as I never bought in. I still think there are flaws with the Bengals and the biggest part about the Cincinnati Bengals and the biggest reason that I don't necessarily believe in them is their schedule is awfully tough going forward this is not an easy game it's in Cincinnati this is not an easy game for them against the Kansas City Chiefs and then after that yes they're at home still but they play the Seahawks a Seahawks team that has seemed to figure it out when the Seahawks win on Monday night they'll be two and two and it could be business as usual for Seattle and Russell Wilson and that Seahawks defense with Cam Chancellor uh, having returned. So, Seahawks is starting to get it together. So that's a tough game. And then, since he goes to Buffalo, which is not going to be an easy game for them either. So, since he's got a couple tough games for them right now, and it begins uh, at home against the Chiefs, a Kansas City Chiefs team that is hungry. Uh, they lose on Monday Night Football to the Green Bay Packers. But, you know, he, he, look... The Packers are one of the best teams in the NFL. And the Chiefs right now is sitting at 1-2. and two, And their one win was in week one at Houston. 
Then they lost to Denver. Then they lost to Green Bay. You lose to Denver and Green Bay, and you're one and two. You can't. I can't look at them and say, oh, they're one and two. They're a bad football team. Well, look who they lost to. They lost to two undefeated teams and two of the best undefeated teams, I think, in Denver and Green Bay. And one of them was at Green Bay, at Lambeau. Aaron Rodgers puts up 40 points a game at Lambeau. It's almost as if Kansas City had no shot going into that game. I actually told you that. I told you that on Monday night, that Green Bay minus 6.5 should have been the play on that one because Kansas City doesn't have a shot. That doesn't mean Kansas City's no good. They can go into Cincinnati. It's not an impossible place to play. It's not an impossible place to win. Kansas City's got a lot of weapons. I think I still think a lot of people knocking Alex Smith after Monday night, but come on. They're in Lambeau. They weren't going to win that game. I still think Alex Smith's underrated. You got Jamal Charles. You know, if he can hold on to the football, that Kansas City front four, front seven, uh, I think maybe can can give Dalton some fits. And I'm going to take the Chiefs as an underdog in this game. Kansas City plus four and a half over the Bengals in Cincinnati. Pick number three. Well, you know I don't like Philadelphia. You know I don't like the Eagles. I don't like them at all. The Eagles last week... They picked up their first win. Uh, I'm not a fan of Chip Kelly. I'm not a fan of the fact that he's in the room and he thinks he's the smartest man in the room. I don't like Sam Bradford in this league as a quarterback. The Eagles, you know, you can make the case that maybe they shouldn't start DeMarco Murray. He didn't play last week as the running back, and Ryan Matthews ran for over 100 yards. They got a big play from Sproles on special teams. Sproles had a nice game. They keep him in the offense. Philly, they're going to play this game at Washington against the Redskins at 1 o'clock on Sunday. There were some threats with the weather and a hurricane moving in that they might have to move it either to a different arena, different city, or to a different week later in the season. Not during maybe a bye week. But that's not going to happen. They're saying they're going to play this game. It's going to be at Washington. The Redskins, they're trying to figure out, do they want Cousins as their quarterback? Do they, who do they want as their backup? They don't know what they're doing. This isn't going to be an impossible place to go in and win. And even though I don't like the Eagles, they should go into Washington and win this game. I don't think the Eagles are going to win the division. I don't think they're going to get into the playoffs. But if you're telling me that Philly is a a 3.5-point favorite over the Redskins in Washington, I say, well, that sounds about right. And it sounds about right because I think Philly can go in and win. As much as I don't like them and I don't like what they're doing offensively, yeah, they get DeMarco Murray back, right? I, I, does that help or will that hurt them? I actually don't know. I actually don't know. Here's what I do know. Is that Philadelphia is good enough to go in to Washington and beat the Redskins. And they're good enough to do it by more than three and a half. Maybe they win by six. That means they cover. I'm going to take Philadelphia. Look, don't bet against the team or don't stay away from a good bet just because you don't like that club. That's the way I look at it. Um, and Philly, I don't like them. But that doesn't mean I'm going to stay away from them if I see them in a game that they should win even if it's on the road, even if they're a favorite on the road, because they should be. Redskins are no good. Philly goes into Washington as a three-and-a-half-point favorite, and I'm taking the Eagles. Fourth pick, San Diego, seven-and-a-half-point favorite over the Cleveland Browns in San Diego. Okay, Chargers are at home. And the Chargers, as I mentioned, are a hungry bunch themselves, right? Uh, Because we're talking about hungry teams and who needs wins. And who should get them in this point in time of the season when they're playing winnable games? Well, the Chargers are in that category here in Week 4. A 1-2 and two record. Uh, they beat the Lions in Week 1. They have lost two straight. And I'm not saying this because I'm thinking bet against the streak. You shouldn't bet against the streak or a losing skit. You shouldn't do it. 
But the Chargers lose in Cincinnati 24-19. Then they lose against a very good Minnesota team in Minnesota. Chargers have a bad run defense. Peterson ran all over him. Adrian Peterson, one of the best running backs in the game, and he's proven that once again with his return this season. Uh, so the Chargers are 1-2. and two. They come back home after two tough losses against two very good teams on the road. The Chargers come home to face a Cleveland Browns team, another team that they don't know who they want to be their quarterback. So uh, they don't know who should be their quarterback. The Cleveland Browns, to me, are not uh, they're not a team that San Diego should be scared of. So I'm going to take the Chargers in this game at home. This is the home cooking game where maybe San Diego wins it by 10, 14 points. San Diego's a seven and a half point favorite. I, I, I love Oakland as a favorite in Chicago, and I love San Diego as a seven and a half favorite at home against Cleveland. I don't know that seven and a half is enough. I think that seven and a half is only because it's, I think it's low because San Diego has a one and two record, right? I think it's low because they have the same record as the Cleveland Browns. A Cleveland Browns team that is coming off a loss to the Raiders. They lost in week one of the Jets. They beat Tennessee at home. But now Cleveland has a, a couple road games at San Diego, at Baltimore. Cleveland will not go into San Diego and win. And I think San Diego, when they do win, they win by more than 7.5. I'm going to take the Chargers as a 7.5-point favorite over the Browns at home in San Diego. And my fifth and final pick, another 4 o'clock game here, 4.30 game, the Arizona Cardinals, another home team. They're at home. They're undefeated. Carson Palmer is back. You see all the weapons he has, and not just his weapons. I mean, you got to have a pretty good defense to have the defense maybe steal the spotlight away from what Palmer and Larry Fitz are doing together. Because the Arizona Cardinals playmaking defense, I mean, they just kept ripping the ball out of Kaepernick's hands last weekend. They didn't give San Fran a shot at all. Arizona's defense, I, I love them. So that alone, I think I'd be taking Arizona in this game. Even if Carson Palmer wasn't playing, even if Larry Fitz wasn't playing, Cardinals as an undefeated team, one of seven undefeated teams in the NFL going into week four. Arizona's a seven-point favorite. They host the St. Louis Rams, a Rams team that couldn't beat a Steelers team that lost Big Ben Roethlisberger during the game in St. Louis. Uh, the St. Louis Rams, I know their week one game was a win against the Seattle Seahawks. It was in St. Louis. If that game was in Seattle, St. Louis would have never won that game. How do you respond to that win over Seattle in week one? You go to Washington and lose to the Redskins. Sorry, I can't buy into the Rams. Then you lose to the Steelers at home. Now they go to Arizona and Green Bay for two straight games. St. Louis isn't just going to lose to the Cardinals. The Cardinals are going to continue to roll, and they're at home. Maybe if this game was in St. Louis, you see what the Rams did beat Seattle in St. Louis. I still, I'm, I'm not, I cannot take the Rams. And in fact, only seven points? I mean, this game, this should be at least a 10-point spread. Arizona should be at least a 10-point favorite. They're not, so i got to jump all over that. I'm taking the Cardinals, one of the best teams in the NFC. And as long as Carson Palmer is healthy, they're not going anywhere. They're going to continue to win. Arizona, minus seven over the Rams in Arizona. So there you have it. Only two home teams, but, but a road team in Oakland at minus three over a terrible Chicago team. I, I, feel, I feel pretty good. 
I feel pretty good about these picks. I'm not going to lie. It is a tough week. We always say that. It's a tough week. But here are my five picks with the spread. Picks, picks for week four, officially. Oakland, minus three. Kansas City, plus four and a half. Philadelphia, minus three and a half. San Diego, minus seven and a half. And Arizona, minus seven. Those are my picks for week number four. Whatever happens on Sunday, whether I'm right, whether I'm wrong, I will break it all down and react to the games on Monday's podcast, and we'll look ahead to the Monday night game between the Seahawks and the Lions in Seattle. I'm here five days a week. DannyPicard.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes. Anywhere podcasts are available, you can get this show. Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Like me on Facebook, all forms of social media. Have a great weekend. Enjoy week four, and I'll break it down on Monday.